What shall we say then? Sin is killed in Jesus. It's all done. Battle's over. Victory's won. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Jesus Christ. Do you not know if you're in Jesus Christ? Trust me, I'm your pastor. You're in Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you so you don't forget. It's not easy to remember. Your own flesh is set against you, but you're here because he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And his washing of you with water in his name is meant to be a tool you can rely on so that no matter what else you might see in this valley of shadow, this place of decay and death and fear, no matter what else might come, you might cling to that past event, that historical unavoidable promise from Jesus through his church in history to your body. Yours alone. No one else got baptized with you. You alone got baptized by Jesus that day. No matter who did it to you, no matter where it was, if it was water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Jesus from heaven used the world and the church to get you wet in his name so you would know he wants you, you specifically, you. This is, it is finished. This is, there is now no condemnation for you. This is by grace you have been saved. And this through faith, not of yourself, a gift of God, not of works, lest we boast. So then, what shall we say to this? Is Paul's question in Romans 6. Because some will say, if you say something like that, people will just do evil. They'll never learn to repent and do good things. You will be a gospel reductionist. You will be an antinomian. If you say such a thing, then nobody will ever live the Christian life. And you know what? When you preach the gospel, pure and true, there will be people who will do just that. They will hear the good news of freedom in Jesus Christ, and they will consider it a license to do as they will. Whether it mean to say, look at these naive fools who trust everybody, let me just live and move among them and take advantage of them and eventually take away their entire world from them. They won't even know. Well, there's that kind of thing. Yeah. But then there is also simply the one who says, I would rather live a selfish life and not have anybody know. So I'll come and pretend to be a Christian. I'll come and look like a Christian, but I'm not going to worry about what I do at all. I'm going to have no conscience at all. I'm going to live for myself entirely. And no one really thinks that. You just do it. And Paul's asking the question, when you find yourself in that moment of your day, because if you're a Christian, there's going to be a moment in your day when you find yourself living for yourself and nobody else. When you find yourself in that moment, what shall you say? What shall you do? You find yourself and you're like, you know what? I really ought to, but I don't want to. What shall we say? Shall I sin that grace may abound? I know I shouldn't, but I want to. By no means should I, then. By all means, my want is wrong, then. By all means, I just don't know what I'm doing, then. And the Word of God is such a tool. Because it can actually know what you're doing and what you're not doing when you don't. So you can be like, what am I about to do? Why do I want to do this? I know the Bible says not to. And like, there it is. There's the gleaming lamp. The Bible says, follow Jesus. The Bible says, listen to his words, not to your flesh, not to what you want. Just because you've been baptized into Christ and given the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're the personal vehicle of revelation to the world. It only means that every time you fall down, 
when you open your eyes, Jesus intends to be looking at you with his hand out, smiling. I come back, walk on the water with me again. It means that, but it means walking on the water by saying no to your sin. Not being sinless, not never making a mistake, but in those moments where your conscience sees it, God will bring you some every day. He won't show you all of them. That'd be too much. You'd go insane. He'll only show you a few. And you're going to be like, oh, I'm so angry. Or, oh, I want that so bad. Or, oh, why is that person? And it's in those moments, what shall we say? Shall we remember grace so that we do whatever we want? Or shall we remember grace so that we can see what that other person we don't like so much needs? Needs. The question in verse 2 of Romans 6 is imperative then. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, you could ask this question a lot of different ways. Uh, I think the most like hyperbolic, the, the most extreme example of something like this would be your general alcoholic. Yeah. So somebody who has drunk too much and knows it, years and years of it, and knows it, and they get clean. They get off it. You know what they're like, right? I mean, whoever they are, they won't drink. They won't touch the stuff. Why? Well, they don't want to go back. It ain't worth the risk to them. Now, the question American Christianity needs to ask over the last 75 years is, is how many sips of that alcohol of the whore, the harlot, the culture have we been drinking? How comfortable have we got? with what they say normal is. Huh? How can we who have died to sin in Jesus, who know certain things are evil, who know we have harbored those things in our life or in our past, who know that we have been saved from these things, how can we bear to be entertained by such things is really the question for us in these latter days. I've talked to you in the past about things the church 100 years ago would have told you was sin, would have told you that you couldn't do. I mean, some of you might, not 100 years, but some of you maybe have parents who told you stories, you know, dancing, not really allowed kind of thing. Um, One of the other things that was not so much not allowed, but always decried, always, every Christian era but this one, going to the theater. You could go, but it was always said, be careful because they're liars who want to deceive you. And the stories they tell aren't the stories of truth from the Bible. And it was very clear. I mean, any pastor would have just said that to you. And if you did it, you would have dealt with it. But that's how it was. Now, what happened? We started to say it's not so bad. And you know what? Back then, it probably wasn't. Back then, it probably wasn't. We started sitting beside the Philistines in the theater and laughing with the Philistines at Philistine things. And now suddenly, the Philistines are saying, come with us, worship our gods. And a lot of people are. And again, so I suggest to you that it's just more complex than any one thing. There's no one thing you're going to stop that's going to make it all better. You're going to realize that there's a religion of the world and there's a religion of Jesus. And the most of the people out there running and scurrying in fear are living in the religion of the world. You're being oppressed by it. You're being pressured and afflicted by it. You can't help but be moved by it. And you know this because you just want your life to be normal again, right? But yet, if you try to talk about that, it's hard to tell people what that means. But we all know it's not normal right now. Right? We're being oppressed 
by a Philistine worldly religion that I would contend is really attempting to take over. That's what it always does. Just read Daniel's over and over again. You're feeling that. Yeah. The thing to know, the thing to be, the how then shall we live, that do you not know that you are baptized, is again to say that as much as it is, as confusing as it is, the path of the Christian every day is not to repent for the whole fix and make it all better. It's again to realize that in the whirlwind, you're in the whirlwind and God puts you there. You're not climbing out of the whirlwind. You're not going to band together and get out of the whirlwind. God is going to bring you in an ark through the flood. That ark, again, is his scripture and the solidarity of his promises to you in Jesus Christ. These are things that never change, no matter how much they change the meaning of the words in our language. We can always go back and find them again. And that in this, you as a people, you as a people, are here in this place to ask that question of yourselves, not for me to tell you what it looks like when you decide not to live in sin with the rest of the world, but for me to be part of that community and with you together as you talk to decide what is it that they're all doing that we just don't want to be like. And I would suggest it has less to do with mass and more to do with how you stop and look someone in the eye and give them time when they talk to you. That's how we want to be different here. And the rest of the stuff that everyone else thinks religion's about will fall away as you come into this place where you talk to someone eye to eye about your sin, your pain, and Jesus answers. That kind of church will never die. That kind of church you already are. That kind of church you are the embryonic beginning of, like a tree planted by streams of water, ready for a time to blossom. And I believe that with all my heart. I really do. But then, again, it means asking this question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What I suggest you do with this is just ask yourself what you find entertaining. Don't take entertainment as a topic. Ask yourself specifically, what are the categories? What are the things I watch? And as you watch them, begin to ask, does this help me stay a Christian and my family stay a Christian through right now or not? And if it doesn't, then I would ask you to figure out how many hours of your week you're giving to not surviving as Christians right now. And then I would ask you to consider if you like that or not. Just honestly, is it 15 hours? I mean, it's a lot, right? Is it three? I mean, I'm like, I'm living this in a dream myself so that I can think it through for all of you and then talk about it. So that means most of the ways that I try to figure out how to like put my next step forward means thinking of every possible future, all the fantasy and the sci-fi and the worst case scenarios. So I can come back and tell you guys like, look, this seems like the reasonable place we are right now. But in that then, I have gradually been removing myself from entertainment on a screen for a year and a half. And the only thing I found is I don't have enough time. I still don't have enough time to do all the things I think I need to do for my kids and my wife and you. Now, let me just suggest if the devil has found a way to take that much time from us without us knowing it, that our place again here is to be different than that. A place where time matters, but not the same way it does out there. Where I encourage you, this service specifically, you're getting better. Late service is way ahead of you. 
Take five more minutes on the way out. See someone you don't know. Say, wasn't Pastor Sermon absolutely crazy today? See what happens. Just try that a little bit here. And then, again, believe firmly that you who have been sealed with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as an absolute and omnipresent promise for every moment of your day, that death and resurrection is your motif, that rising from your own death to Jesus' resurrection, that looking to his return is your theme. Talk about it with each other this morning. Be a witness like John the Baptist was. And here, know this, no one's going to cut your head off. In the name of Jesus, amen.